0: Uh, Like you said, my name is Chris, I'm one of the teachers here, and uh, honored. As we start a new series, we're really excited about this series as we're going to be uh, looking at uh, the miracles so that we may believe. Now, have any of you ever experienced something unexplainable, something that you just really couldn't wrap your mind around? Uh, I know for me, my wife, this would be me actually finishing our honey-do list. Can I get an amen wife in here? Yeah? Uh, my honeydew list at home is like three pages, and so it actually is a miracle when I finish it. And so I'm going to pat myself on the back. I did that this week. That's why I can use this. Uh, but maybe it's like uh, the idea of a UFO in the sky uh, that is this object that moves, and it just doesn't quite move like an airplane would, right? It's this conspiracy. It's unexplainable. Or, or uh, you know, we live in the Internet era. I have kids all under the age of 13, three of them, and YouTube is like on constant at our house. Anybody know that? YouTube, right? It's like, and you see all of these weird, things on there and it's like dad have you seen this and then when you begin to watch that video on YouTube you're like I know exactly what's going on here they're manipulating the images and they're doing all kinds of crazy things to get you to think something that isn't real right well what we're going to be doing is is we're going to be looking at some things in the Bible that are extremely unexplainable uh, there are things that, that are hard and on, uh, from face value to wrap our mind around. It's difficult to see some of these events. And these events, the Bible calls, are miracles. And, and even though these miracles are something that we read, uh, they didn't have YouTube back then. They didn't have CGI and all these crazy things. This was actual events that happened with real people And so what we're going to do is we're going to be taking a look in the book of John specifically, and John highlights for us seven specific miracles. Now, we know that in Jesus' ministry, he did many, many, many other things. But for some reason, John highlights and selects these two, or I'm sorry, seven miracles now, uh, one thing that, that I want to say is I think sometimes for many of us, it's hard to believe uh, in miracles, right? We, we, we read something or we read something in the Bible and we think, oh, that's just a cool story, but it's hard to just really kind of wrap our minds around But we have to understand that that we live in a world with God, the God who created everything, the God who created heaven and of earth, the God who has no limits, who has no bounds, who's all-powerful, he's almighty, he's all-knowing, and so we have to understand that God, in the miraculous, is possible, because there is no limitation on God. With God, all things are possible, and so, uh, we want to start before we go any further today. We're going to give you a definition uh, on what we believe the Bible says a miracle is. And we're going to revert back to this in the next coming weeks. So, uh, defined a miracle is this it's a special work that God performs to reveal his power and character so that we may believe in him. I'm going to say that again. A miracle is a special work that God performs to reveal his power and character so that we may believe in him. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting to think that John would specifically, because he was with Jesus a, a lot of the time, for him to pick out these seven specific miracles. Well, he gives us a reason why. If you want to open up to John chapter 20, it says this. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these, these seven, these Are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. You see, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at these unexplainable events, these things that happen, and when we read them at face value, we think, oh, what a cool thing! But in reality, when we dig into the miracle, and when we uh, look at it, and we learn to dig into it through Scripture, we begin to see that there's a lot of things that are going on in all of these miracles, and the number one thing that they all do is that they are here to draw us or point us closer to Jesus. And I think that that he highlights these seven miracles as we've been studying it as a a church uh, staff and team. You're going to see that these seven miracles really highlight the glory and the faithfulness and the love of God and his power and his majesty. But really what they do is they reveal something in our lives, this idea that we are apart from him, that we are needy, that we need him to do something for us, and that he has compassion enough to do the radical, to do the miraculous, to get our attention to draw us near to him. So, wherever you're at in your journey of faith, if you've read these stories before a thousand times, or, or maybe you're here today and this is your first time and you're going to be digging into it with us, I believe with all of my heart that every time we open up God's Word and we dig into it, there's something new, there's something fresh, there's perspective that can challenge us and can draw us near to Him. And hopefully that happens for us today. Let's pray together. God, I, I ask you just quickly, Father, that you would be with us, that you would open our hearts to receive, that we would see the depth of this miracle, that God, that we would see your love and your glory and your majesty and your power, God, and that as that happens to us, it begins to change us, it begins to challenge us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living, that it's active, that it penetrates our hearts and our minds and and that it can do so much in our lives. God, I also believe that you are a God of the miraculous. And so God, there are in this room things that are happening in our lives. There are people that need a miracle, a miracle. God, maybe it's a marriage that's struggling, a marriage that is lost. God, I pray that you would work miraculously in that marriage. God, maybe it's financial or maybe it's a healing. There's so many things that are going on. God, we believe that you are a God of miracles, and so I pray that your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts today in what way we need it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 2. Uh, that's where we're going to be reading about Jesus' first miracle. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to grab one on the way out. Uh, Or you can open your Bible apps, also we'll have it here. So we're going to start today, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says this, it says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. It says, The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, That's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. I think today in this specific chapter, chapter 2, we can pull out three things, three truths for us. And the first is this, is that we must come to Jesus on his terms. We must come to Jesus on his terms. You know, I think what happens here is that uh, we need to see in this moment, this is Jesus' very beginning of his ministry. So Jesus, at this point, he's choosing this moment in this time to actually start the work that God has called him to do. You see, he's, he's lived, he's been a carpenter, he's been a son, uh, he's been Mary's son, and they've been working together. And so now he chooses this time to start his ministry. So this is the very beginning Before Jesus did anything famous or miraculous, the the things that we've read about in the Bible, this is the very first thing that he chooses to do. And what we need to see is that weddings were very, very important in the Jewish culture. In fact, weddings were uh, expensive. They were a celebration. Uh, These were parties that would go days, if not a full week of things that were going on. Uh, It would involve the entire village, so you would know everybody there. It was a really, really big deal. And at this wedding, what we see very quickly into the wedding is that there's a major problem. There's a major, major issue that happens. They run out of supplies. They run out of wine. And so this culture, this Jewish culture, is if if you don't uh, do something or if you don't fulfill your obligations or if you don't do these things, there's shame that's put on you. And so I can only begin to to imagine what's happening is is they're run out of supplies and everybody's around saying, "They, they can't afford it. And so all of these things and these whispers and these grumblings are going on, and Jesus does something about it. This would have been very, very, very bad for these people. Now, even in our society, we put a lot of value on weddings, don't we? We 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 put a lot of value, and I don't know if you've been to a wedding where something seriously or bad has happened. It's pretty awkward and uncomfortable. Can I get an amen? Right, like you have you been into something like that? I am a pastor, and so we do lots of weddings. Part of our job is we do tons and tons of weddings. Uh, some we like to do and some we don't, I will be honest. You know, there are some that's like, that sounds really bad, but I'm just being transparent. Uh, but there, there are all these weddings that you end up doing, and there were two specific weddings. I was thinking about this, like what could possibly match this? And, and the first is this. Um, it's an, actually an Alpiner who is from Alpine. He's actually on staff. Uh, his name, I'm not going to say his name, that would be bad. But, but he was getting married, and one of our pastors was marrying him. And as they were marrying, he was asking them to, him to repeat after his bride, I'm sorry, to repeat after him. And and he said, so bride, would you repeat after me? I take you, so-and-so, with all of your faults and your strengths. And so it's her turn now, and she she says, I take you with all of your farts and strengths. (laughs) I know it's crass, I'm sorry, but it's a true story. And what you did right there is what happened for the next 30 minutes. I'm not kidding you. Like, every moment you began to think of Jake with flatulence... You were like, what is going on here? Like, you would just laugh. It's like a junior high small group, right? Like, you were doing that. Another one, this happened, we were in the teaching meeting, we were preparing for the message, as the teaching pastors, we get together, and we we talk about the messages that we're going to be preparing, and and, uh, your very own, I will share his name, because he's a very close person to me, his name's Brian Dwyer, so your very own Brian Dwyer was doing a wedding in the Chicagoland area, and as he's doing this wedding, he was referring, on multiple occasions, he referred to the bride as the groom's ex. I know, can you believe that? I did exactly what you did, and I still do that when I think about it. It's like one of those Southwest commercials, like, I want to get away, right? Like, I'm just going to leave here. Good luck getting married. But what you just did right there was exactly what would have happened in this wedding, but 10 times worse. There's nothing that we can even begin to imagine that would compare of the embarrassment and shame that was happening because they failed to have the supplies that were necessary for this. And so when we begin to think about this miracle, we begin to think about the seriousness of the event. In fact, it was so serious that if, if they wanted to, uh, the groom was responsible for the weddings back then. Is that crazy? it's the brides now, right? It's like, yeah, so if you've done a wedding and you've paid for it, I mean, I don't know why it's changed. Ask the Bible, ask Jesus. I don't know, but it has. But what would happen is, is the the parents of the bride could sue, they could sue the groom. I mean, you thought you had bad in-laws, right? Like, this is serious. Like, so here we are in the middle of this and all of this commotion is going on and I can only imagine what people are feeling at this time. This is a very, very bad situation. And so Mary does something. Mary turns to Jesus and basically demands him to do something. Many moms who have raised young men, right? You are a mom and so what you're going to say to your son is, hey, you need to fix this or what are you going to do or how are you going to do this, right? And, and this is what happens. Mary says, Jesus, what are you going to do? And there's this, there's this peculiar exchange that happens here, and this is the moment where we see Jesus stepping in to what God has called him to do. He says this. He says, dear woman. <laughs> now, if I said that to my mom, my mom, I don't know about you, she'd slap me twice, right? <laughs> like right across the face a couple times. And what happens here is Jesus is saying, or, or Mary's saying to Jesus, listen, I am bigger than this. I am bigger than you, and what I'm about ready to do is display my power to you. And you see, what happens here is Mary, she could have been like, listen, I'm going I'm to slap you around a little bit and let you know who's in charge, but Mary knew that Jesus was special. I mean, remember what, what Mary experienced, right? She, she was given Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and so she was in connection with him, and so now all of a sudden, we have this here where she knew that Jesus was special, But something has changed for Jesus now. Jesus has moved away from being the carpenter, you know, he's moved away from being her son. He's now stepping in to the calling that God has on his life to be the Messiah, to be Emmanuel, God with us. And so there's this, this exchange where Mary, I think she gets it right here. She's understanding, okay, the light bulb comes on, here's, here's Jesus, God, this is exactly what was supposed to play out. And so what she does is instead of using authority, she steps away and says, God, she says, Jesus, you're in control. And so she tells all of the people around, all the servants, she says, do as he tells you to do in whatever way he thinks best. You know, I believe that this was a response from Mary that was grounded in great faith. And I think this is something that we can learn from this is that we can respond to God in faith too. You know, God isn't some cosmic vending machine where we say, listen, God, I need you to do this and I need you to do it this way. This is my life, and God, I need to fit you into it, and the way I fit you into it is telling you what to do. That's not how God operates. You see, God is the God who created heaven and he created earth. He spoke everything into existence. He knows everything about us. He knows every moment of our day, and he knows what's best. And you see, we have this exchange with God, and we say we want this to be about us. But what God says is, listen, I am in control. I am the one who knows what's best for you. I am the one who will give you what you need. Even if it's difficult, in every situation, I am God. And if you put your faith in me, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, I will guide your path. And I think when we can do that and when we begin to understand that that's the kind of relationship that God wants, it can move us on into the next thing. When this happens, we can learn another important lesson. I think that's the second part of the story here. Moving on in John 2, starting in verse 6. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And so Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said... Now, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremony. The master of ceremony is like the wedding planner, right? So, this is the DJ, this is the person who's kind of running the party. So, the servants followed his instructions, and when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone else has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This leads us into our our next point. And I believe the lesson we can learn is that Jesus will do, Jesus will always do more than we can even imagine. Jesus will always do more than we can even begin to imagine. You see, he is God, and we are not. Our minds are finite. His is infinite. infinite. And so God, the the creator of all things, can do more than we can even begin to imagine. And so Jesus, right now, in this moment, what we're seeing is a glimpse of his ministry, what God has called him to do, and he says, I'm going to now show you who I am. I'm going to show my mom, I'm going to show my disciples, I'm going to show those around who I actually am. And so he sees these six stone water jars. And let me tell you about these water jars. These, these water jars were used for ceremonial cleansing. You see, back in this time, there was this Old Testament thing where you, you had to be clean. You had to be washed. You had to be clean, And so these water jars were stations where you would go and you would wash your hands off with these water. Or you would wash the utensils to make sure that they were ceremonial clean. You would wipe the dust off of your feet. I mean, these were really, really nasty things. And so what Jesus says is, I'm going to take something that is broken and disgusting. And I'm going to do something powerful. I mean, there are so many undertones of this, this specific miracle. It's amazing. And so Jesus says, I'm going to use this to do something amazing. And so what he's saying is like all of those rituals and those rules and those regulations and those things that you had to do to be made clean, I'm going to use that to show you that it's not that way anymore. And so what he does is is he says, listen, I'm going to ask you to take this over, give the MC a taste of this. And I can only imagine what's beginning to play out. And you see, what's crazy is is you would think that if Jesus took one little glass of wine and turned it, or water and turned it into wine, would that be enough for us? Yeah, that'd be a miracle. Like, did he really just do that? But listen to what Jesus does. Jesus says he takes every single one of those 30 gallon jars, fills them with water, and turns them all into wine. And you know what he's representing there? He's representing abundance, an abundance of wine. Now, we're not saying that you should you know, take this miracle and think, oh, this is a freedom to drink 30 gallons of wine. That's not what it's, what it's definitely doing. Now, that's a sermon for another time. I'm sure we'll have it. But, but what he's saying is, is, listen, let me tell you what, what this would have meant. This would have meant anywhere from 650 to 900 bottles of wine, those jugs. I mean, that's a lot. All Jesus had to do was one thing, but he did an abundance. And here's the thing. I think what happens is we look at religion, and we look at faith, and we look at all these things, and many of us come from different backgrounds, different faith backgrounds, different upbringings. And you see, we live in in some of these religions that say you have to do this, 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 and this from A to Z. And if you don't do that, you are unclean. You're unclean. If you don't do those things, you are separated from God. And you see, so people try and they try and they try to do the right things, but what happens? Because we're human, we always fall short, right? Romans 3.23 says, we all fall short of the glory of God. We are all stained. We all make mistakes. We all stumble. And, and you know, it, we all think about the good person who's doing out and they're doing good. They're doing all the right things. But, but then after all of those good things, there's still a longing for more. You know why that is? It is because there's nothing that can satisfy. There is nothing that can make you right with God. The only thing that can do that is Jesus Christ. And so what he's using here is a symbol. The Bible throughout the Old Testament is symbolized, symbolizes wine, as uh, I think it's Psalm 104 in verse 15, that says that it symbolizes wine, symbolizes something that gladdens the human heart, literally translated, "It brings joy." And so what he's saying is, I'm taking what was disgusting and I'm making it brand new and I'm giving an abundance of joy. Joy overflowing. The best joy, the best wine, the best experience. And so everyone who who has experienced letdown time and time again and everybody who's here and who's talking about the failure of this wedding and these people that can't do enough, Jesus said, I am the only one that can do enough in this situation and I'm going to do that here You see, that's exactly what he wants to do to us. Maybe you've been a part of that church before. Maybe this is your first time coming to church and you've been leery because you don't want to go in and be judged because of all the things that you haven't done right. Listen, the Bible is very clear. It's very clear that everything that we do right before an almighty, all-holy, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God is like filthy rags. (laughs) That's humbling, isn't it? And so we need to step away and say, listen, there's nothing of value in me. There's nothing in value of value in me, but I can receive infinite riches and joy and a peace that surpasses all human understanding. In every situation, both high and both low, I can witness the miraculous. And see, that's what God was doing here. That's what he was doing. He was saying, listen, no more religion, no more rules, no more man-made anything, anything that you can't do. Listen, what would happen is, is even when we were sinful people, uh, when the, when, back in the Old Testament when they were sinful, what did they have to do? Every year they had to go and they had to have their sins atoned for, right? They had to have the right sacrifice by the right person, and they had to go through this routine. And what Jesus is saying is that that is no more. What he's saying is, I am the perfect sacrifice. And you see, we get the story. They didn't have the story. We're going to read the story, and we know that Jesus went on to do the greatest miracle of all things, which was to come from heaven to earth, to live a life that, that was perfect. In fact, everything was good, nothing that we could ever do. And, and he did that, and he went to the cross to pay for the sins of his people so that we could be reconciled back to God. You know what? He didn't just die there. Here, here's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is that he defeated death and he rose to new life. And because he did that, the only reason why we can come to God is because of what Jesus did. And I begin to think of, of, you know, when we we do communion and we look at the cup and it symbolizes wine or or juice and and we think of God's blood that was shed for us. You see, that's the new sacrifice. That's the new covenant. I think, Jesus, this is what you're doing here. You're showing that your life is enough, that your blood is enough, that the representation of your wine is enough. And that's what God wants us to experience. He wants us to have joy in abundance. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You see, this is what God wants for us. God doesn't want us just to have 900 bottles of wine. God wants us to have life and joy and joy to the fullest. Not rules, not condemnation, not shame, not sadness in a broken wedding. He wants us to have new life in him. Here's what I love about this miracle. Verse 11. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. Just think about that for just a moment. Those who were following Jesus literally got to see the glory of God right before their very eyes. And what was their response? They believed in him. They believed in him. You might be thinking, well, this is a cool story cool guys, cool experiences, it's a miracle. So what does this have to do with us? I I believe with all of my heart that the Bible is for us to open up every moment of every day and to have something new. And the very things that were happening back then through Jesus' life and his ministry are a way to point us and draw us closer to him in relationship. And so here's what this means for us. Jesus did this not just for the disciples, not just for Mary, not just for the people around. He did this for you and for me. And so when we read it, we can see that he wants to do something new for us. That God wants to do something new in our lives. He wants to do something greater in our lives. And I love about what this miracle says. It says it revealed his glory You see, this was a demonstration of the almighty God. And what's represented here is that, listen, there is none like me. There is no one like me. There is no one who can do this. It was putting a spotlight directly on God. And it shows us that God is in a class by himself, that there is none like him, and that he is the one that is powerful. He is the one that deserves all glory and all honor. And that's the purpose of the miracle. The point wasn't just the miracle, look at the great thing I can do, look at my power displayed, look at all these things that are happening. The point of the miracle was that we would see the God of glory and power behind the miracle so that we may believe. And listen, you might be here today and you say, I I believe it. Well, what is this doing for your life? Are you living in joy, new joy, abundant joy? Or you drug drugged down by the ways of life, the, the, the ins and outs. <laughs> you know, Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm longing, I'm looking, I'm searching. I have come from rules and regulations. I want something new. Well, What Jesus is saying to you today is I am going to do whatever it takes to offer you joy and to make you new. You see, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he did what he did, that he was God, defeated death, And if we believe that, that we will be saved, that we can be in relationship with him. And let me tell you what this miracle represents. Old way is gone, new way is here. And do you know what the new way is? The new way is if you do that, if you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life, the very power of God. And so we don't go to the day of atonement to ask forgiveness for our sins. We don't go through the ritual. We don't do the cleansing. What we do is we go straight to God. The Almighty God we can go into his presence in relationship with him Now that is so powerful and so beyond just turning water into wine the old is gone and the new has come I mean here's here's my hope for you my hope for you is that you would look at these things that these miracles and say listen I want to to be made new. I want to take the first step in my relationship with God. If that's you today, you've never done that, we'll have pastors and leaders up here that will show you how your life can be changed both today and for eternity. Please don't leave without experiencing that. But if you're here today and you you have experienced that, whatever it is that's going on in your life, may this be a a remembrance for you that God loves you so much that he would do whatever it takes to be in relationship with you so that you could experience joy. And sometimes that means we have to get out of the way. (laughs) Let's pray. Thank you, God, for demonstrations of your power. Thank you, God, for the love that you have for us. Thank you, God, that you would do the unthinkable, that you would send your son into this world who was elevated and worshiped as God in heaven and that you would send him here to come and to live a life in this place and to live it perfectly, and to die for us, and to do that so that we could be in relationship with you. Thank you for that. Thank you that we don't rest our faith on religion, or rules, or guidelines, or what we have to do. Thank you that that rests on you, and what you've given to us. God, as you've you've laid on my heart over the, 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 the past few weeks, that there are people who need a miracle. God, would you perform that miracle today in their hearts, and in their minds, and in their lives? Maybe it's a a marital miracle, God. Maybe it's a financial miracle, God. Maybe it's a, a work miracle. Maybe it's a healing, a sickness, an ailment, a disease. God, you are the God of the miracles. You're a way maker, God. You are someone who can do something to get a hold of our lives. Would you do that as you see fit? In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.